Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I talked to Adam Smith about a pretty ridiculous website flip. He goes into all the details, and here's kind of the breakdown. He bought the site for $37,000. It was a 32X monthly multiple based on, I believe, revenue. I'm not 100% sure if it was revenue or profit specifically, that's beside the point. He later sold it for 55000 which is a 37x multiple based on the recent revenue. And he kind of tells us about exactly what that means. He purchased the site on January 29th of 2021 and then sold it on March 8th of 2021. And for the savants out there, you already know that's 38 days. So he made $18,000 in 38 days. And that does not even include the website revenue for the month or so that he owned it. He was able to make a few specific on-page and on-site tweaks. He did zero link building externally and was able to increase the revenue in a significant amount, enough where he was able to resell it in short order. The remarkable thing, of course, is the short amount of time that it took him to get the results and then he was able to flip it. Adam shares basically everything that he did and it all seems very reasonable. I have no, there's nothing that seems out of place. It's all kind of standard things. And I believe you could do it to a site that you own already, for example, or if you wanted to, you know, follow in his footsteps and buy a site, I think it's something you could do as well. Adam's one of the co-founders over at Niche Website Builders and, you know, they're a friend of the Doug Show and Niche Site Project in general. So if you're interested in any of the services that they have over there, which include done-for-you sites on expired domains or age domains, which is kind of cool. Or they even have uh, content services and they have link building services. So you could check out that stuff. I'm an affiliate, so I get a commission if you do sign up and I very much appreciate it. Adam has a cool story, so I'm just going to send it over right now. Adam, how are you doing today? Good, thanks, Doug. I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Doing awesome. We were just chatting before, and the weather's good here. The sun's shining. We just got through with a few uh, storms yesterday. So, yeah, it's great. I'm looking forward to going outside later when we finish up talking. Any, anything new on your end over there? No, no. We, as I mentioned, we were, we were buying a house and selling a house and all of the paperwork and hassle that comes along with that. But apart from that, no, nothing, nothing too much. Very cool. Well, congrats on the new place and hope everything goes well. I know it's a real headache to deal with all the the various uh, professionals um, that come across your, uh, just your interaction dealing with the builder and the sellers and all the agents and brokers or whatever. So good luck on that. Cheers, We will get into the details here and you bought this site back in January. So January 29th of this year, 2021, and then you sold it March 8th. So that is 38 days total. So can you just lay out 
the site and just kind of tell us, of course, you won't reveal the URL, but can you just tell us like where you found it and some of the details, some of the criteria when you were looking at acquiring this site? Yes. So um, in all honesty, I, I didn't actively look for this site. I put up, or this, this site specifically, I put up a couple of posts in the Flipping Website Facebook groups um, saying that I was looking for a site in, in this space. Um, and then um, a couple of weeks later, just somebody messaged me out of the blue to say you had this site, um, would I be interested in taking a look? And I mean, nine times out of 10, when that happens, the site is nothing that you're looking for. Like I, I'm quite specific when I, I say I'm looking for a website, it has to have certain things. And then nine times out of 10, when people message you out of the blue like that, it has none of those things. But this one was different. Um, it was a great website. It was uh, monetized primarily through uh, display revenue, even though it was in a product-based niche, which I thought was interesting, kind of like a different take on, on the niche. Um, the owner wasn't the first owner of the website, um, but he hadn't really added any new content and all of the content had been written by the, the previous owner who was the, the guy that had built the website and he was an expert in the field. So the content was really well written. It was kind of written with passion and you could kind of see that based on the monetization. There was, you know, there was affiliate income, but it wasn't the main focus. The main focus was providing really useful informational content, which I liked. Um, so we started talking, we started negotiating, and um, initially we couldn't come to, to an agreement on the price. Um, rightly so, the, the buyer was looking for a, a higher multiple than normal based because the content was really good and written by a professional. Um, and we went back and forth, I think it was probably about five or six weeks, and I was trying to get creative with the deal and, and offer different structures up. Um, and in the end, I kind of forgot about it. And then he came back to me and said, okay, let's do a deal for cash. And, and we kind of closed the, closed the deal. So the 29th of January is when I had the closing statement through from escrow. So that's, that's the day that everything kind of finalized. And it's kind of funny just from a negotiation standpoint. So you just forgot about it. And then the person was sort of sweating, realizing that you know, maybe he or she wasn't going to be able to sell elsewhere and then came back and said, fine, I'll take your terms. Is that about right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic being on that side um, because you've got a couple of different like uh, things going in your favor in that you, if they sell direct to you, they don't pay any brokerage fees. Um, like I make it clear from the start that I've bought and sold dozens of sites. So it's a fairly painless and easy transaction. Uh, I'm willing to use escrow and nine times out of 10, I'm willing to pay the full escrow price myself. So it kind of you know, makes it a no brainer for them. Um, and I also say that I'm, I'm willing to close quite quickly. Like if we can do a deal straight away, like my due diligence process, I can, I can have it done within one day. So like I've, when you're negotiating from that perspective, Whereas listing with a broker and they take you know a couple of days and then they get it live on their platform and then people want to do their own due diligence and it can be weeks. So having that as an advantage typically sways it, but in this case, not quite because this went back and forth for weeks and, and yeah, I just kind of forgot about it. Um, and then for whatever reason, I came back and, and said, let's, let's do something. 
And I think that point about the broker fees is is a big one, right? Because it's somewhere between like 10 and 15% usually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's pros and cons of, of working with, with brokers. You know, they've got the buyer list essentially. So if you, if you go to them, they can genuinely negotiate a higher price for you, like a higher multiple typically. Um, but then, of course, you've got to take off their fees, which in essence reduces that multiple down to a, a more standard level. Um, and then the time as well, because you know they, they can't work on a 24-hour turnaround. You end up having to pay 50% of the escrow fee. I know it's a lot, but it's it's still like every little bit helps, right? Yeah, exactly. So and we can share the purchase price, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's just a tad under uh, $37,000. And that was a 32X multiple, which is, I, I would say, you know, that's competitive and reasonable. I mean, if you're getting around, I would say like 25 to 35X monthly profit, that's probably in the right range given a number of different factors, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think things are starting to go up now. Like uh, the average multiples just seems to seem to be going up and up, especially on like content-based sites. Um, it definitely feels like it's a seller's market right now. Um, the stock of high-quality websites seems to be very low, and you know we have the the benefit of speaking to lots of our client base within our business who are looking for these kind of websites. And, and you know, honestly, they're struggling to find good quality websites right now. So it's definitely a, it's definitely a seller's marketplace. I think that's been the trend for the last, I mean, few years really. And I guess it's more, more money in the industry. People are saying, Hey, this could be a good investment vehicle. It's separate from, you know, some of the standard areas that folks are investing. So, okay, very cool. And you mentioned a couple things I want to dig into, and we will talk about every single one of the actions that you went through to increase the earnings. But number one, you said there was a specific niche that you were looking for. Can you elaborate on that? Like, were you, you just know it's a hot one. Why were you interested in that niche for this acquisition? Yes, in all honesty, I was interested in that specific niche because um, I thought I'd already had, well, for two reasons. One is I bought an expired domain in that space, um, and I was looking primarily for a site which was a lot smaller than this that had lots of good quality content, but on a weak domain, and I was going to move the content over to to my expired domain. Um but then after doing some more exclusive due diligence on my domain, which uh, is rule 101, if you listen to everything we, we talk about, I uh, actually found that there was a trademark issue. So I couldn't, I didn't want to use the domain. So I was all in the process of acquiring another site in this space. And I was just looking to buy another complementary one so I could merge them together to merge the content. Um, just so happened that this one was was a quite a bit bigger than, than what I was looking for. But in all honesty, size doesn't matter sometimes. So this worked out well in the end. Okay. And then you talked about the criteria that you typically look for. Um, sounds like it's apart from the niche specific. So can you share some of the criteria you look for when you're trying to find a site to buy? Yes. Um, and it's changed over the last couple of months where with the updates, Google updates. So um, I'm, I'm not buying sites anymore that have a, a higher ratio of commercial to informational content. Uh, like 
for me, an ideal site would be 20 to 30% commercial and the rest informational. Um, depending on the project, so in this instance, I was just looking for a, a weak site that had lots of good quality content. Um, it didn't really matter too much about traffic or revenue or, or anything like that. I was just looking to very quickly jumpstart content by moving it onto a better domain. Um, so my criteria for this was a little bit different uh, if I was just looking to acquire a site to, to grow. Um, but if I'm looking for a site to grow, then I'm looking for a couple of other things in terms of um, uh, is the traffic coming from, from Google, first and foremost? Is it coming from the US in Google, which you can check in analytics? Um, I'm looking for uh, distribution across the top pages. I don't want any kind of um, one page to get more than 10 or 15% of the traffic because it's a risk. Uh, I'm looking at uh, history within Ahrefs and SEMrush to see if there's been any, it's been hit with any updates, it's been hit in any algorithm updates. I mean, uh, has it been on a, a downward trend in terms of keywords? Because that's traffic is sometimes a bit of a lag. Like you can be losing keywords out of the top 100 and not see traffic decreasing straight away. So kind of always try and marry the two up together. Um, and then just is it a niche that I think I can do more with? Um, my thinking around niche selection is is changing and has changed again quite a bit over the last couple of months. Predominantly now I'm thinking of um, niche selection in a, a four phase uh, kind of like structure. So phase one is can I build an audience based on question-based content? So if you think of the marketing funnel, you've got top, middle, and bottom of the funnel. Can I find enough top of the funnel questions to bring in a wide audience that are interested in this topic? And can I can I monetize them with display ads? That's phase one. Phase two is, are there any digital products out there that I can promote, i.e. courses, um, communities, or because the commission is, is tends to be quite high. And then that leads on to phase three then is once I've tested proof of concept by promoting other people's products in that space, can I build my own course or product or community? And then phase four then comes at the very end is can I then monetize that audience in a, a customer to business perspective, i.e. can I build a directory or can I build a platform where I can connect my audience to businesses directly and either take a cut of the commission or charge for sponsored listings if it was a directory style um, layout. And that's the way I'm now approaching my, my niche selection rather than is this a good product I can promote on Amazon, for example. In looking at the things that you changed and updated, it looks like you stayed very much on the early phases, didn't even look yes. too far past that. Now, the other part is you spent 38 days on this and putting all the pieces together. It sounds like you were getting a down payment for your home or something like that. You wanted some cash, a little cash infusion. So I'm curious, did you have a timeline in mind for flipping this site? No, in all honesty, I didn't. Um, there, there, there was nothing intentional about flipping it so soon. Um, I think I sent you over the, the Ahrefs chart uh, afterwards from after I sold it. And in all honesty, I probably should have held it for a little bit longer. I should probably still be holding it right now. Um, but you're right. I, you know, I, I saw some quick, a nice quick turnarounds. Uh, I could then redeploy that capital into new sites and take the profit and use it as payment on the house and actually bought some cryptocurrency and, you know, 
if that's good or bad, I don't know. <laughs> we'll soon see. Um, but yeah, there was no specific timeline. Okay, cool. And, and for the people listening on the podcast, the HREF's graph and generally the uh, keywords, uh, organic keywords, organic traffic, it's growing still. And this is good to see because I hear many stories where someone buys a site and then something negative happens. So it's good to see that like people buy sites, they take off, like they weren't uh, sort of tricked or misled in any way. So I'm I'm glad to see that the new owner is probably thrilled and they think they're a genius for buying it from you at the price they did. So you win, you, you got your, your cut, that person is getting, uh, you know, some, some nice, uh, benefits from the work that you've done. So let's ramp into the things that you changed. And you listed these in a specific order. And I'm curious, are they sort of in the order that you think is most important as far as the impacts? Or is it kind of uh, just random? Um, they are kind of listed in order based on um, like groupings. So the the top parts are all to do with on page and then the bottom parts are all to do with like technical changes. Mm-hmm. Um, in all honesty, the the method that I, I, I approached, I took with this website was to increase um, uh, display revenue. So I wasn't really interested in, in increasing affiliate revenue much. I knew that there were very quick wins that I could take on the display revenue side of things. So all of the, the the methods that I've outlined and we'll talk about are there to predominantly increase um, page views in the short term and also RPM as well to get a higher uh, higher revenue from from display ads. Awesome. Okay, and we could just run down the line here. We'll hit the on page first. Yeah. So number one, you increase the font size. So tell us about that. Like seems like a small change, but what was the font size before? What did you increase it? What was the logic behind it? Yes. So I don't actually remember what the, the actual font size specifically was, but the, the first couple of points we'll talk about is all about um, increasing the number of adverts that you can fit on a page. So uh, we talk about increasing font size, uh, talk about increasing or adding more paragraphs, uh, adding some new content, typically in the, the style of FAQs, and then adding more images. And what that does is specifically adds more page breaks or places in the, that one piece of content where display ads can can go. So by you know adding in three or four images and adding a couple more paragraphs and making the font bigger and adding some more content, you're effectively just adding more opportunities for ad placements. And more ad placements typically means higher RPM. Got it. And do you know what the new font size was? Just curious. Yeah, I think I think it was eighteen. So I went. Okay. I may have gone from sixteen to eighteen. It's not a not a significant jump, and it's like not one word on the on the page, but it was a, it was like two or three points bigger. Okay, that's a thing that I've pointed out for a few years because I would land on sites and now sometimes the resolution on our monitors is pretty huge compared to what it used to be. So I would land on someone's site and their font size would be, you know, whatever, 14. And it's trended larger, I think, because of the resolution that we have these days. So the DPI makes a difference and all that stuff. All that to say, I would just land on people's sites and 
just visually, it looks awful because the font's so small, the paragraphs are huge, and the, there's too many words on a line. And I'm no designer, but just aesthetically, it didn't look quite right. So anyway, I would say like at a minimum, like 18 to 20 for most sites. And I have seen sites where it's trending a little too big, like if it's 23 or something like that. But anyway, small thing. All right. You talked about FAQs and you guys did some work for me, niche website builders. And I think you updated like eight posts or so. And I went back and after about, I want to say it's about six weeks, I saw a 200% increase in traffic, which is obviously a huge amount. So I'll be covering that in an upcoming uh, episode, getting into a few more of the details there. But what, what is the approach at Niche Website Builders for FAQs? I know it's not just finding FAQs, there's a little more strategy with it. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And it's there's there's two strategies for our FAQ method. Um, so the first strategy is updating existing content, which is what we did for you, Doug, and, and the approach I took on on this website, where essentially we use a tool called Inlinks. Um, it's created by Dixon Jones, the guy that uh, created or, or ran Majestic. Uh, it's a great tool it's a great piece of software and we'll talk about it a little bit later on because i also use that for for some some advanced schema but essentially what inlinks does is allow you to run either the website or specific pages through uh, the google nlp algorithm and dixon has also built his own nlp algorithm that's based on um, wikipedia so um, i asked asked him why he'd done that and the reason that he said was Google's NLP algorithm is um, it's notorious for being uh, strict. So if the content is own, it, if the content is not super related to, to the entity that it thinks it is, then it won't pull out. It won't say that it's it, it's about that entity. Whereas Dixon created a, a less strict version, and then for his entities, he he used the the Wikipedia pages because they have a, a page on everything essentially. So. What you can do is you can run individual pages through through this algorithm and it spits out the entity. And, and I'm conscious that not everyone knows what that is, but essentially it's just um, just think of it as a noun, like a describing word to describe the, the topic of that page. So it spits out all the describing words for, for that page. Uh, and then we have a process where we uh, mine Google's people also ask box for questions that Google think are related to those entities. And the, the methodology or the, the theory behind it is rather than us trying to guess what questions or what FAQs we think are relevant, why don't we ask Google what they think are relevant and kind of reverse engineer their own system. And then we pull up those questions. Typically, we'll run them through Ahrefs or SEMrush, but they don't always have them in the database, um, mainly because they are very long tail and they're questions that only Google think are relevant, like it's not. They don't have massive volume, but they are hyper relevant. Uh, and then we add those to the to the piece of content. We mark them up with FAQ schema, um, and that's the one approach of updating existing content. So the the other aspect to our FAQ service is where we don't update existing content, but we create new standalone content, and we do that by taking a a more holistic. Uh, view of the website. So rather than run individual pages through the algorithm, we'll put the whole website through there and spit out the, the seed topics or the seed entities. Uh, and these are high level stuff. Um, 
and then we we dig a little bit further into those and create a like a, a, a list of what we think are related based on those entities and then from there we mine literally thousands of questions from people also asked um, we then run them through uh, well first of all we remove the duplicates and also which is super important we remove the ones with duplicate intent and that's quite easy to I say easy to you just need a bit of excel skills because what you'll find is two questions can be uh, have the same intent but worded slightly different so just a a removed duplicates wouldn't pick them up. But when we are uh, mining all of the questions, we're also mining the little snippet of text that Google puts underneath the, the people also asked um, each question. And if Google thinks it has the same intent, typically it'll show the same snippet of text. So we're then also removing duplicates based on that snippet. So we, we don't duplicate the intent. Uh, and then from there, we cluster them together based on common URLs in the top 10. And what we typically then end up with is a primary question uh, followed by several sub-questions. And then depending on how many sub-questions will de depend on the word count of those pieces of content. So the support and informational pieces of content that are all based around questions, typically anything from 800 words up to 1,500 words. And we find that this is a super awesome way of, um, one, driving traffic because they are long tail questions. Uh, they're typically low competition. Typically we're up against forums or Reddit for the results for those. And secondly, on, on that aspect, um, about 80% of people also ask questions are also eligible for featured snippets. So it's, it's almost like featured snippet goldmine really. Um, so it's great for that. And then it's also great for building topical relevance with Google because what better way to show Google that you're an authority on the topic by literally taking the questions that they think are relevant, uh, answering them in a concise way, and then also internally linking them together to almost create this, this web of knowledge that's on your website, essentially, and you mirror in what Google, what Google shows is, is relevant. So that's the two different approaches that we have for, for our FAQs. And for a couple of the other items here, well, actually, is there anything else to add with the FAQs before we move on to some of the other points? Um, well, I guess the only other thing to say is if you're gonna if you're gonna spend time doing them, is to make sure that you're marking them up with the correct schema. Um, it's it's beneficial for two reasons. One is it's not a tangible benefit, but I, th I think it's really important. Basically, you are handing Google on a silver platter exactly what the page is about. You tell them this is question and answer based content, and it's in a format, structured format that they can understand. Uh, and the second point of that is when the page gets on, on page one of Google, typically it has to be on page one to activate. But with FAQ schema, then you activate the FAQ box that appears under your search result, which gives you a little bit more real estate space. Uh, increase, increases your click-through rate, which um, you can actually see that in Search Console because you can break down in Search Console the clicks and impressions by FAQ rich result. And it's interesting to see that when we do this to existing content, we go into Search Console and we have a look at the average click-through rate on a URL before we add it and then the click-through rate on a URL afterwards. And almost always it increases because we're just adding that extra feature to the search to, to give it more visibility. And technically doing that, is it a lot of work to add the FAQ schema? 
No, not really. You can, you can do it in a couple of ways. Uh, so plugins like uh, Yoast and Rank Math actually have inbuilt Gutenberg blocks now. We can literally add the block, put in the question and answer, and it generates the schema. Um, we typically don't like to use those only because we don't ever want to be tied into a, a product. Um, so you can use any, if you just type in FAQ schema generator, there's a ton of websites which allow you to generate the schema. And you literally just paste in the question and answers. It uh, generates a little script for you. Uh, we use a plugin, uh, insert header and footers to allow us to insert that script on each blog post, um, and that's it. And then once you've done, you can check if you've done it correctly by using uh, Google's Rich Snippet testing tool, and they'll tell you on there. You'll come up green, and it's eligible for FAQ schema. And then once you publish it live or you, you've updated it, within a week or two, you should see the pages start to appear in in Search Console, a little box will appear for FAQ on the side in the schema section, and you can go in and see how many pages are valid. Um, and then if you go into the performance report in Search Console, once those pages are activated, you can select the, the filter to only look at FAQ rich snippet data. Got it, okay. FAQs, yeah, it's a great, it's a great way to add content, get those long tail keywords, and then the specific topical relevancy as well. So I encourage people to, to check it out. And I mean, they could even test it just to see if it works on a small scale and a few posts on their site. This is our featured domain segment by Otis Global, that's O-D-Y-S, and they are uh, your source and my source for age domains with some backlinks and strong branding. The one for this week that I'm going to talk about is Idea Economics, and Idea Economics was an educational website for policymakers on economics, providing educational tools and programs to academia. It focused its attention on debt matters, money matters, and economic modeling. And you don't have to do much research or even have much understanding to know that the sort of finance and debt industry is filled with money. I mean, it's all about money. There are a lot of potential, uh, like, I guess, earnings, for the informational portion here. So when you think about informational content, it could be maybe how to do X and Y, whatever whatever it may be is like getting a mortgage, maybe paying off debt, maybe, well, we mentioned economic modeling here, which is perhaps beyond the scope, but the fact is you can write tons and tons of informational content or have it written for you and you'd be able to uh, probably have really great high paying ads on your site. Now, one of the cool things which I'm just now becoming acquainted with is they have the these nice little uh, like icons and logos for Otis Global and I think it comes with this little icon which is kind of catchy. They're all uh, they all have like nice colors and stuff if you browse around over at Otis. Now, one thing I'll I'll uh, point out for you here is some of the metrics. So these. These sites have strong branding and typically they'll have pretty great backlinks. So this one specifically has 89 do follow referring domains and 139 total. The domain rating is 22 at this point in time. And I believe the domain authority and that's the Moz metric is around 36. So another thing that I like to pull up is just the 
the Wayback Machine. And you can see uh, from back in 2015, this is what was on the website. And you can go browse around and look a little bit more deeply if you want to see what was out there. Now, one, one sort of tip, if you're building on these age domains, domains that used to have a lot of content and still do have quite a few links. As I mentioned, we have uh, 89 referring domains. You would probably want to recreate the pages that have links going to them. Now, it doesn't mean you would necessarily copy verbatim the content that was on that page, but you would want to recreate it so that you can accept that link to an actual page, and then, you know, you, you can link elsewhere from that page if you want to do more sort of internal link sculpting and that sort of thing. So I'm going to click back and just look at some of the links that are pointing to the site. So we have Wikipedia, we have Medium, Constant Contact, Goodreads, so on and so forth. And what I'll do here is I'm just going to do a quick filter for the do follow, like the Wikipedia is probably not a do follow, it's a no follow, and some of the others may have been in that same situation. But nevertheless, there's still quite a few links from very good places, and I'm not going to look at all of them here, but you can see there's quite a few out there. Otis does give us a tip on the monetization, and, and they recommend an authority site covering global economy, such as economic policies and how they affect nations, monetized by ads. And yeah, as I think about it, as I'm putting on my affiliate marketing hat, I can't think of specific economic products that you can sell specifically. However, I suspect that you could have uh, maybe like a review type site, maybe like Nerd Wallet, where you're reviewing certain credit card rewards programs or credit cards in general. You can earn commissions there. If you have enough traffic on your site, of course, you can do display ads with a company like Ezoic or something like that or AdSense straight up. But you also have the opportunity to like work directly with a company and run ads for them. So anyone that's interested in your audience and the traffic that you might get would be fair game. But I can't think of like, you know, an Amazon product out there or a physical product that relates specifically to this sort of economic policy. And it, it just doesn't make sense to me. So I'm not sure if you have a route with that. However, one interesting thing is there was some economic modeling uh, software associated with this site. Um, if you do a little more research, you may run into that. So there's potential that there is uh, software out there that you could be an affiliate for, which I love digital products. However, it's not an obvious slam dunk on how you would get that traffic and, and monetize it effectively. But there's always some possibility out there. I think display ads are probably the right way to monetize this site in a topic so broad as economics does give you a huge amount of leeway. I need to give a thank you to Otis Global. So do check them out. If you join through my affiliate link, you get $100 credit to your account. Thanks a lot. So moving back into, I guess, getting more ads on the on the each page, you also added more images to the top posts. So can you elaborate on that a little bit? 
yeah, uh, in all honesty, these were just stock images. They weren't anything special. I didn't edit them um, based on Google's most recent updates or the, the guidelines they put out. I probably should have at least added a banner with a website URL on them to make them unique, um, but I didn't. I just literally went to Shutterstock, downloaded a couple that looked relevant and just added them in. And that works in a similar fashion to adding content, essentially just adding more paragraphs and more spaces for ad slots to appear. Perfect. Yeah. And I guess the ideal situation is uniquely uh, taken photos that you've taken yourself yeah. and they're actually like real pictures of the product or some activity or something like that. But you do what you can, I guess. Yes. Yeah. I, I think going forward, maybe add in a banner or something with a URL on there just to, so from a machine perspective, from a, an algorithm perspective, it looks unique. Um, I think that might do the trick until Google gets a little bit smarter and figures out that's maybe what's going on. Right. And I think you could probably do this in Canva for free. And yeah. I'm sure there are, I, I know on a Mac, you can set up some like automator auto, automation things where you resize images, maybe put text and do some uh, like custom image editing, but you can do it all like in a batch format where the machine's doing it, yeah. not you, and just really save a lot of time. Or you could hire someone on Upwork to, to do it on Canva for you know relatively inexpensive. So, all right. You also added some affiliate CTAs for some of the informational posts. So that's pretty self-explanatory, I think. Um, it, I, I found it interesting when you talked about the site, how it was a product-based niche and they mostly had informational content and it seems like th they just missed the opportunity and it looks like you didn't add too much in there too although you didn't have the site for too long but why, why do you think that is did they just follow a a framework that said publish informational content and don't worry about affiliate like i don't i don't get it in all, in all honesty, no. I, I think it was a it generally was a passion project for the original owner. Um, so I, I'm assuming in, in that instance, they would rather write a how-to or you know give some specific guidance on a on the topic rather than you know a list of ten of the best products in the space for something else. So um, there definitely were some of those posts on there, but the majority was just helpful informational content and you could tell it was written by someone who who had a great knowledge of the of the of the topic essentially okay interesting yeah big opportunity for the new owner i would say if they're able to keep the amount of affiliate content down while still adding the opportunity to sell physical products yes. or digital products or whatever applies well, that was so when I when I saw the site put together almost a little pack on what I would do next. Um, and this it's the same methodology that I was looking for with the expired domain in that I would still look for a, a website that had high quality best of guides and move them over and look to merge the site. Um, and it's a quick win, like I say. There was there'd be no reason why you couldn't at least match the display revenue with affiliate income uh, by doing that. Very cool. You also added a table of contents plugin, I suspect, for jump links. So that's kind of an easy win. And anything interesting with that? 
No, not really. Uh, I use a Lucky WP. It's a free plugin for that. Um, I've tested both having the table of contents visible and hidden on a post by default. It doesn't really seem to be any difference. Google seems to, to understand whether it's open or closed. So by default, I almost always have it closed now because I think it's better for user experience. And also, interestingly, when I added that, uh, Mediavine told me to take it off, which was interesting because they, or at least hide it, because they said it would affect ad revenue if somebody came on the top and then saw a heading, you know, maybe three quarters of the way down, I just clicked in and jumped there. They would miss all of the ad spots in between. So hidden by default seems to be the way to go. Yeah. And I think, you know, the user experience, of course, like, it's nice to have the option and I have seen some table of contents where it's, it's really long. It's maybe a little too detailed, but it is funny that media vine said, Oh, you know what? We would hate for the user experience to be good. Uh, we want to show that. I mean, they earn money when they show ads. So I, I get it. I do understand, but they're like, Oh yeah, we, we definitely don't want to make it convenient for someone to find the information on the page. Why would we do that? I'm glad they told me though, because in all honesty, like I said, I tested the the open and close from a kind of a ranking perspective, but I'd ne it never even crossed my mind that it would affect display revenue for people jumping down until they mentioned. And yeah, that was really, I thought that was interesting they mentioned it. So close by default sounds good. Yes. Yeah. Next, we have breadcrumb navigation, which I, I like a lot. I mean, I think it's a helpful way for someone to navigate to other parts of your website and it just makes sense. I know a lot of the SEO plugins will do this for you. Um, is that what you did on this site? Yeah, so most themes actually have it built in. Uh, this one was just turned off. Um, I think it was more important on this site typically than the sites that we, that we normally build because normally um, our site hierarchy is very flat. We don't use a hard silo method where there's category, subcategory, and post in the URL, whereas this website did. So I thought it was quite important to, to have that laid out in the breadcrumb at the top. Um, otherwise, it did, I mean, it probably had minimal impact, but I just did all these things in, in the space of a day, and I don't know which one had the biggest impact, but it's kind of all best practice, really. Okay, great. And I think overall that covers um, the majority of the sort of on-page non-linking situation. So we'll move, although I guess technically the breadcrumb navigation is internal linking, which is the next topic here. So you added um, a lot more internal linking to some pages. Um, can you tell us about that a bit? Yeah. Um, so interestingly, the, the tool I talked about earlier in links, um, when you run your pages through there, they actually have an option to to do the internal linking for you as well, um, as well as add schema, which we'll talk a little bit about later on, I guess. But um, there's good and bad points about this. Um, the good points are they make it really easy. Literally, you tick the pages that you want them to add all the internal links. And similar to what Link Whisper does, they find them and then they, they add them to the post. The only downside is... Um, the, the, unlike Link Whisper, when you stop paying the subscription for in-links, the, the internal links are, are then removed. So um, 
you you can you can have the best of both worlds. I they'll show you what the internal links are. It's just a little bit of a pain that you then have to go and manually manually insert them. And that way, then if you ever sell the site or if you ever decide that you don't want to pay for in links anymore, it's a monthly subscription. The internal links uh, stay there. Um, so I didn't actually use in links for the internal linking on this side. I use Link Whisper because I, I knew that I was probably going to sell it pretty quick. Okay, yeah, that is. Uh... That's a tough one. I know with the link whisper, if you get rid of it, if you stop your annual payments, then you still have your links. They actually change in the database for you. So that's kind of a bummer to hear that they try to rope you in and say, Hey, we're, we're changing it back. You have to keep paying us. Not cool. I I don't know if that'll fly in the long term. Um, but if the tool's good enough, of course, yeah, people will do it. But I mean, that's rough if people are like, oh, you know what, I'm trying to, you know, get started, like it's a smaller site or they're just a yeah. beginner or something like that. So, okay, very cool. So you added these internal links using Link Whisper. Um, how many pages are on the overall site? I forgot to ask that at the beginning. Uh, I think it was probably about 80 or 90. So I updated about 20% at the top 20. 20. Okay. Got it. And just roughly how many um, links did you have going to say the top few, say the top five or 10 pages or something like that? Just how aggressive can we be for internal links? Yeah, quite aggressive, I think, is the answer. Like way more aggressive than external links. And you can be a lot more aggressive on the, the anchor text too. Um, like Link Whisper is a little bit it's a little bit different now because it's hard to keep track of the anchor text that you build. But prior to Link Whisper, I used to do it all. I think I think we spoke about this last time I was on the show. I used to do all the internal linking via a spreadsheet, and it was easy to to keep in control of how many times you've said you've linked with certain anchor text. And my rule of thumb typically is um, three or four exact match, and then anything else that is partial match um, to a specific page. Um, so in all honesty, on a smallish site like this, it's highly unlikely that I would link to the same page more than three or four times, um, at least with an exact match. Okay. Oh, really? That's much That's much less aggressive than I expected. So in how many, you really just said like three or four links to those top pages? Three, three or four with exact match. So I still link to them, but not as as, as exact match as the keyword that I want to, that the page is primarily about. So if it's about skateboarding shoes, then three or four anchor texts, which are exact skateboarding shoes, and the rest then have to be something slightly different. They can be super skateboarding shoes or check out these shoes or something like that. But three or four is the max on, on exact that I try to go for. Okay. And then the rest are some sort of partial match or longer phrase. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. True. Gotcha. And a couple other things you added. So you added a physical address to the about page and you ordered 30 citations. So can you unpack that a little bit? I know some people may not be familiar with uh, the details on that. In all honesty, I don't know how impactful this part is. Um, uh, this is based on um, some advice from Matt Diggity, so some of Matt Diggity's videos where I know that he adds uh, physical addresses and, and buys uh, citations for his affiliate site. So 
it's one of the first, first times that I've kind of done this. We've done it a little bit in the past with some expired domains we're working on to get them unstuck. But um, essentially what it involves is I use a company called Web20 Ranker. They have a social fortress package and a citation package. Um, and they basically build citation links, which are directory links. So like Yelp and, and all those kind of things. You have to portray it as a real business. You have to say, you know, this is a business in this space and this is the physical address and um this is the phone number um i cheated a little bit with the address in that uh, i looked up um uh, fedex uh locations so businesses in the us which have um where you can rent a p.o box and i basically just took that address and, and took the same phone number and changed the last digit so it's it's not really a real address but it does show up on a map as a real address um, and then I ordered the citations and you put in the description of the business and the, the, the business logo and opening hours and, and all kinds of things to almost mimic that you're a, a real physical business with an actual location. Um, and then from there, the, the hard part about citations is actually getting them indexed. And you think like a big directory, directory like Yelp, how many people add in you know, listings and, and businesses on there every day. Like trying to get them indexed is quite difficult. Um, I know that Matt recommended using uh, like an indexing service, but I've seen in, in a couple of Facebook groups over the last six months that these indexing services are not quite working very well anymore. Um, so I thought, well, I scratched my head a little bit for how else can I try and get these indexed? And uh, that's the next point on the list was um, adding the citations in uh, organizational schema and adding it to the about us page. So basically creating schema and saying that this website is about X, this is the URL. And also these are our, these are website or web addresses that are associated with us. Typically you would mark up that schema with like social media profiles. But in this instance, I added the, the citation links instead. Is it safe to say both the physical address and the about us page, the citations, and then the organizational schema, you're not sure how much of an impact that had, right? Yes. Yeah. I honestly don't know. Okay. And you and I had talked about this stuff off the record um, in a previous conversation, but yeah, I'm not sure either. I have seen, you know, these ideas talked about and passed around for, uh, you know, several years, like having the physical address. So Google thinks yeah. it's a real business and, and all those other details. And I haven't, you know, checked it out or tested it in any fashion where I have any certainty either, but I know there's, well, there's a small industry around doing these citations and, and for local businesses, it maybe makes a lot more sense, but anyway, we don't know is the the point I'm trying to get across and emphasize here. We don't know about those things. We haven't we, tested this in a um, we, We've seen it work quite well on expired domains that seem to be stuck, like expired domains that don't take off the way that we we would expect them to take off. And then we've built some of these citations and, and added them that way. Um, and they, they do seem to do better afterwards. Um, whether that's just time, like time passing, and it would have happened anyway, or whether it's this, like we haven't done any single variable test to see if it makes a, if it is this that's that's causing that that change. 
Next is advanced schema to the top 20 post around entity matching. And that's one of those things where I know all those words, but I really don't know what you mean by entity matching. So what's going on with that one? So in all honesty, this is this is a tool for, from Inlinks. This is one of the, the things that they offer. And essentially what it does is say the, it, it basically marks up the page in uh, terms that, it's Google can't get confused about what the page is about. So, for example, if you have a page about Ford cars, you literally mark up in the schema that um, this web page is the same as Ford, which is the same as, and then link to the Wikipedia page about Ford, the car brand, rather than Google may come on there and see the word Ford and may get confused, you know, with maybe the actor Harrison Ford. Um, so, in, in unequivocal terms, you're literally saying to Google, this is the exact topic that this page is about. Um, in all honesty, I hadn't come across this type of schema markup until I started playing with Inlinks. Um, so again, I have no idea if this had a major impact or not. Um, but the more I looked into it and the, the more I started playing around with schema, I think the more you can mark up data and make it structured so Google understands it from a machine perspective, the better. So it's, it's almost best, best practice to do. Okay. That does make some sense. And you, again, looked at the top 20 posts, the top 25% or so just to save time and, you know, ho hopefully get the, the most bang for your buck in, in the time. All right. Yeah. Very good. It. And one other thing I didn't ask at the beginning, you didn't do any link building, any external link building aside from the, uh, you know, potentially the citations could be considered, you know, some external links, but no, no proper, uh, skyscraper, uh, campaign, no guest posting campaign, nothing like that. And with the 38 day turnaround time, it would have been hard to do something big and maybe you wouldn't have seen any benefits in the short term anyway. Now, how many links were going to this site? Uh, how authority, authoritative was it just in general, if you can remember? So it's a, it's a DR25. It has 501 referring domains to it. Okay, 501 referring domains. That's a pretty good, pretty good chunk. Uh, do you think those were, are those like pretty natural because the original owner was, uh, you know, in the industry yeah. and pretty interested? Yeah, so this, the site's been around since around 2015. So it's it's a six-year-old website. Um, and in all honesty, looking at the link profile, I, it didn't it didn't seem that there was any attempt at building links. They all seem naturally required over over six years, which which is another plus when you're looking at a site like this. Um, yeah, it didn't there was nothing untoward about the link profile. Very cool. All right. Well, this is an amazing uh, flip story in such a short time frame. About how much time did you spend on it if you had to estimate over the 38 days? Um, so in all honesty, aside from getting the content created, which which our team did, um, all of the points we talked about literally took me a day. Like uh, I did it in the evenings, but essentially it would have been about one full day's worth of of work so it took me a couple of evenings to, to do but yeah not a not a ton of time at all for the reward really which is cool that's amazing and for i guess is another baseline like how much time if you had to estimate did your team work on any of the pieces that you didn't handle yourself 
So uh, across 20 posts, we probably added around uh, between 800 and 1,000 words. So probably looking at like up to 20,000 words of content. Um, like typically, we would have that turned around in four weeks, and that would be formatted and uploaded, and the schema added and everything. So, you know, typically four weeks, but obviously I had it turned around a little bit quicker for my for my own project. Sure. Um, and actually had them start work on it while I was doing the 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 migration. So I knew that this is exactly what I wanted to do. So almost as soon as I had the the website in my possession, I already had a chunk of the content ready to go. And then finally, what was the trigger to sell it? So you said that you weren't planning on doing a quick turnaround. You didn't necessarily um, have any specific plan. So yeah, what? Tr- why were you thinking, hey, I'm going to sell this now? In all honesty, it's just opportunity. So um, because I've, I've bought and sold quite a, a few sites over the last couple of years, um, I have this network of individuals now who are interested in, in buying sites from me. Um, and one reached out, he, he bought a, a couple of sites off me previously and reached out and said, do you have anything for sale? And I said, well, I do, but you know, it's it's not going to be on a six month average because I, I'm going to hold it to, to come up. And he said, okay, tell me a little bit more. And I told him the things that I changed and how the revenue had, had increased over the last 30 days up till this point. And I said, but I'm, you know, based on, based on the last kind of, um, a six months revenue, I'm going to be looking at a 55x. Or if you take into consideration the work I've done and what the revenue is trending to do, I'll sell it to you for a, a more traditional multiple. But you've got to understand that you're buying it on, you know, what were the work that I just put in rather than what the last six months look like. Um, and he he agreed. Uh, he looked at it and from a kind of a an outside perspective and saw what I'd done and saw the increase in RPMs and the increase in, in sessions and said, okay. Um, and that was that there was, there was no predetermined. I'm going to sell it in a certain time. It was literally just opportunity. He messaged me at the right time and I said, okay. How fast did you have the site over to this guy's account and migrated? Yeah, really quick. So, um, he's also a seasoned, seasoned buyer. Um, so he handled the migration. I literally gave him uh, WordPress access and, um, backup. So I used WPX for, for my hosting, gave him a backup. Um, he had it changed literally the same day. Uh, and then, um, because we'd done, this is, this is going to sound bad actually, but because we'd done deals in the past, we didn't use escrow. Um, and we kind of trusted each other. We didn't want to pay the fees and, um, yeah, it was all done pretty quick. Like we, I sent over the details. He looked at them. He evaluated the site really quick. Uh, he's buying on behalf of a, a larger portfolio, so you have to get some some sign off from those guys, which took another day or so. And then the the money was transferred, and the site was transferred pretty much the same week. Very cool. Well, congrats. This is, like I said, an amazing story. Quick turnaround time, and a couple, you know, kind of cool things because you've done business with this person in the the investment group or whatever portfolio management situation, basically you were able to turn it around quickly. They came to you, um, they had trust with you. You didn't even use escrow and you were able to turn it around really quickly and get, um, I mean, really an outsized multiple for the historical information, but because you've done business together before, 
you're able to make such a deal and he he can see the work that you've done and the results from previous sites that he's purchased from you. So it all it all makes a lot of sense there. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks, Adam. Any other details that I forgot to ask you? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I guess maybe just a little bit about um, uh, what actual difference those changes made to the RPM rate. So RPM increased essentially 25%. It went from an average of $15 up to, and then this is um, uh, uh, session RPM. So there's a difference between session and page RPM in, in Mediavine. So session RPM went from around an average of 15 up to a, an average of 20, and page RPM went from an average of, of 12 to 13 up to, to 15, 16. So it's a good 25% increase in, in display ad RPM, which meant, you know, a high multiple on the sale then. Very awesome. All right. Well, where can people find you, Adam? Uh, probably um, two places. One is our website, nichewebsite.builders. Um, there's a little chat icon on there. Um, like me and Mark pick those up ourselves directly. Um, or you can email us at team at nichewebsite.builders. And that comes directly to me. Um, and I always, always reply to every one of those. So, those are the best places probably. All right. And you guys have a podcast too, right? Yes, we do. Um, so we we did a podcast recently where me and Mark spoke about our FAQ service and titled it, Why You Should Give a FAQ, FAQ, which, <laughs> which is a play on words. Um, and we talk a little bit more about the process and kind of how we've developed that and the results we've seen. And um, yeah, it's uh, you, should, you guys should check it out. It's on YouTube and, and all the other podcasting places wherever they are spotify awesome well thanks a lot adam we do appreciate it thanks i appreciate your time thanks to adam for joining me in the great conversation again i think you you can probably recreate a lot of the things that he was able to do and if you're looking at your own site, you may as well give it a shot. If you are thinking about purchasing a site, I think it's a great way to obviously increase the revenue. And I, you know, I don't think Adam made any mistakes here specifically, but he mentioned, ah, you know what, maybe I could have kept it for a little bit longer. However, the way everything played out makes total sense to me. And some, someone wanted to buy the site, someone had money to pay and he got a fair price for it. You know, potentially if he kept it for six months, he could have sold it for an even higher multiple, who knows? And there would be even more earnings to base the uh, price off of. So, I mean, no one asked me specifically, but that would be the one little thing. Of course, we never know what the future holds. So I can't uh, fault Adam at all for flipping it like he did. And it's, well, it makes my job easy. It's a great headline. $18,000 in profit in 38 days with a fairly standard website flip. So very cool. Go check out Adam's stuff over at Niche Website Builders and we'll catch you on the next episode. (laughs) 